Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Imagine that. We would be in Romans, but Romans chapter 12. And what we're going to do today is we're going to continue in this sub-series of the series of Romans as we talk about uh, non-hypocritical love. My hope, uh, as it has been for three weeks before, two weeks before Easter, is to get through the rest of this. So um, if you would, uh, Romans 12, starting at verse 9, we're going to read to verse 21, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into a recap and an explanation of what Paul is, is talking about here. Here's what the Word of God says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So two weeks before Easter, we began this journey through, verse, uh, through verses 9 through 21. And here's what we talked about. We talked about the idea that uh, if we are going to be a people, if we, if we are truly a people uh, saved by grace or a people of mercy, then we are going to, in view of mercy, live the way God tells us to live. And God tells us that we are to be a people whose love extends not just to fellow Christians, but to the rest of the world, and that that love is to be void of hypocrisy. In order for our love to be void of hypocrisy, we would have to know a proper definition of love, wouldn't we? We would have to know what it is versus what it isn't so that we can avoid the what it isn't. And so what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is love defined. Effectively, we see the principles of love. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast. But in Romans chapter 12, we actually see the outplay or the practical nature of love. So when we talk about being patient, that's wonderful. But practically speaking, being patient gets really real and at a gut level when you look at a husband and you say, you need to cherish your wife and you need to love her uh, like she is the most precious thing in your world. And you need to treat her uh, you know, as, as she should be treated. It becomes really practical when you say to wives, with, without any, uh, any fear in your heart, when you say to wives, you should respect your husband. And you should understand what quiet submission looks like. And we're not talking about shutting up all the time. 
uh, no matter what the culture says. What we're talking about is this, is this love for one another, this reverence for one another, this idea that we're a team. How many of you know that, that God created man and woman, and it wasn't till after he created the helper for Adam that he stepped back and called the whole situation very good? That says a whole lot about women. But it's really important to understand something else. God created for man a helper. He did not create for man an employee to be managed. He created for him a helper. He needed help. He needed somebody to walk this walk with him and to do this. That has nothing to do with leadership. That has nothing to do with, with what it means to be a man and, and for God to be the head of Christ and Christ to be the head of man and man to be the head of woman. It has nothing to do with that. Mutual respect shows what that looks like in a practical sense. But man, the, the culture and the church has confused the snot out of that. And that's just a term I use for my girls all the time. They, it's confused the snot out of it. So, but here's the real important thing. We've got the principles of love, but then in Romans we've got some practical application. And it's when we get to practical application that we swallow hard. So when we get to practical application, we go, I'm not so sure Jesus knows what he's talking about. And Jesus goes, I assure you, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and we need to take the deep breath and realize he, he does know what he's talking about. So here are a couple of those practical pieces. We learned that love without hypocrisy looks like this. Hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. Hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. The church today, and just one statement... The church today entertains far too much evil. Hate evil. Cling to what is good. God defines what is good and we need to cling to that. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You ever met somebody it's hard to be devoted to them in brotherly love? You ever met somebody like that? So for me, it's not Phil. Uh, <laughs> did you like that, Phil? It's not, Phil. But it's really, there are times when it's hard to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. But you've got to be. Because this is love void of hypocrisy. Do you know you've been saved into a family? We're a team. We're a family. That's a, that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. And guess what? You can't divorce this family. Ha! Anyway, uh, give preference to one another in honor. Uh, it literally translates outdo one another in honor. I love that. We saw that in Jennifer Riddle's, uh, uh, or John Riddle's memorial and, and surrounding Jennifer Riddle, where our whole goal was to just outdo these guys with great honor. We just wanted to show them love, and that was, that was the goal that we had. Verse 11 says, not lagging behind in diligence, uh, but be fervent in spirit. And all of that is... Uh, encapsulated in this phrase, serving the Lord. So be diligent in what you do. Be fervent in spirit to do what you do. But guess what? You're supposed to serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope. What is hope? It's always future looking. Who hopes for that which they have? Nobody does. So we're talking about the future glories and the future things. We got to rejoice in those hopes. We've got to persevere in tribulation. And that's what we face in this life. Lots of tribulation, lots of pain frustrating times. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if you keep up with all of the interactions on social media or all the interactions through, through uh, the website, but we've gone through a whole lot of sadness as of late. It wasn't but a couple of weeks ago that Jess Acri's mom passed away unexpectedly, uh, 57 years old. It was 
just last week, last Saturday, that John Riddle passed away at 50 years old unexpectedly. Um, a friend of mine passed away uh, just a couple of days from John. And then uh, just, what, two or three days ago, Beth, your dad went home to be with the Lord. And so it's challenging, guys. And what we have to do is we have to be devoted in prayer. Why? Because we're persevering through tribulation. We're persevering through trial right now. We, we are on this side of heaven, this side of eternity. We're on this side of imperishable. We're still perishable. And guess what that means? Death has a pretty brutal victory and has a pretty bad sting. But we have hope and we're looking forward to that. So uh, love without hypocrisy is to be this kind of people, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saint. That's why we have 700 pounds of chicken in the refrigerator right now, <laughs> contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. You all know this is true. Uh, practicing hospitality. Yesterday was an amazing thing. Uh, I saw a, a Facebook post that said that there were three churches represented. The person doesn't realize that most of the people that came have, have since left other churches. There were probably 10 churches represented yesterday because they're everywhere, right? I mean, we, we are the church, amen? We are the church. And yesterday was a, a cool example with John Riddle's memorial of coming together and just being the church. We are contributing to the needs of the saints and we're practicing hospitality one of another, brothers in arms. Really an amazing thing. So this is where Paul uh, begins to take a turn here, right? Verse 14, and this is where I want to spend most of my time today, and this is definitely something that'll, that'll get me preaching here. Uh, but here's what he says. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. How many of you are like experts at this? <laughs> Why? Why? Paul, Nothing? <laughs> no. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is a real challenge, but here's what you have to remember before we get into the nitty-gritty of this practical application. This is love without hypocrisy. Love void of hypocrisy are a people who love not only those who love them, but love those who don't love them in return. There are people who love those who love them. It's easy for me to love Jerry. It's a different story for me to love somebody who doesn't like me or, or hates me or persecutes me. Uh, we're going to see throughout this time that it actually can represent those in the body of Christ, although it should not represent those who are in the body of Christ. As brothers and sisters, we should love one another. We should understand what love looks like, and we should practice it well. The sad part is, is that we're still growing in our faith. We're still learning what it means to look like Jesus, and sometimes we miss it. Can I get an amen? amen. Sometimes we miss it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 43, we're going we're gonna to walk through a really important idea uh, that will help us learn what it means to uh, bless those who persecute us, bless and not curse. Here's what Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through the end of the chapter says. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Just so you know, nowhere in Levitical law does it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It had become a statement that was common to the Jewish people in the day. But it doesn't, God didn't say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He just didn't say it, okay? So look at what it goes on to say. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he has caused his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And this is the verse that nobody connects to Matthew Uh, Chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what has Jesus just said? Jesus says, first of all, the world understands how to love. Don't miss this. How many of you know people that don't know Jesus that probably love better than you do at times? Yeah, I think, I think we've all met those people, and, and it kind of brings shame on you because you realize, wow, they love tirelessly, they love with everything in their heart, and I'm sitting here with strings attached. What a pain, uh, what a bad situation. So we've met people like this. Jesus points out the Gentiles and the tax collectors know how to love. Here's the issue. They love those who love them back. Now, is that easy to do? Yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> Of course it is. If you're loving me, if you're supporting me, if you're, if you're uh, all for me, well, it's easy for me to be all for you. But Jesus's people are supposed to be different. The world operates this way. They love those who love them. The world is not incapable of loving. They just love those who love them. What, is pro- what their problem is, is that it's incomplete Love. They do not know how to love those who love them and those who hate them. So Jesus commands us and he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Well, that sounds oddly like what Paul says in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It's the same concept that's happening here, okay? But then Jesus goes on in Matthew 5 and he says that the tax collectors and that the Gentiles understand how to do this. But you are supposed to be different. And this is when he says this phrase. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's a modern contemporary song, contemporary Christian song, that says something like this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hack the song up, but this song's a hack of a song. So anyway, but uh, it says something like, God never demanded perfection of you, so don't worry about it. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. But the Bible needs to be interpreted by the Bible. We need to understand what perfection is expected of us. Are we going to be morally perfect on our own? No. No. Do we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness? You're still awake. You're still asleep, church. Yes, we do. We have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Do we love even our enemies the way we love those who love us? Sadly, no. And sadly, this is where we're missing perfection. 
God said, I want you to be perfect as I am perfect. Well, what does that mean? The context tells us what it means. It means to love those who hate you. While we were yet sinners, what did Jesus do for us? He died for us. Are we willing to do that for people who hate us? You know what the problem in the church is? Yeah, but Nathan, if I lay down my life for them, it's going to be interpreted as though I'm supporting them. Nonsense. Did Jesus on the cross support all the sinners? Mind you, that was the whole world. Did he support the sinners he died for in their sin? No, of course not. He died for their sin. You laying your, down your life for people who are broken, who are in need, is you being like Jesus. Loving those who love you, easy. Loving those who hate you is the challenge, but guess what it means? It means, you're to be perf- it means you will be perfect as God is perfect. God loved us while we were his enemies, church. And we can't even love people we disagree with. We can't even love people that that think slightly different than we think. And sadly, this affects the church as well. This is why there's so many denominations and so many church hoppers and so many people running this way and that. Why? Because we don't know how to love like God told us to love. We've got our own agenda in love, and it's just a bad situation. So again, 1 Corinthians 12 has the principles of love, but Romans 12 starts to give us the practical application, and then when we look at it in context, it's a hard pill to swallow. We start to realize there's something even bigger happening here. So, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting at verse 12 and 13, here's what God's word says again. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to console. We have become as the scum of the world. Did you know that was on the sign-up sheet when you became a Christian? We became the scum of the world. Whoopee! This sounds like so much fun. Okay, where was I? Sorry. We become the scum of the world, uh, the dregs of all things, even until now. But look at verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children. What is Paul calling us to? He's actually calling us to bless those who persecute us. What does it look like in blessing those who persecute us? It means that when we're reviled, we bless in return. When we are persecuted, we endure. The hope that the world is going to see in the church today are those who understand persecution, understand hatred, and respond with immense biblical love. That's when the world is going to notice our hope. And not until then, church. They're not going to see it until this is, this is taking place. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Lots of turning today. 1 Peter chapter, lots of button pushing for most of you, so, uh, so uh, it'll be all right. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 21 and going to 23. 
Here again is the word of God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. To follow in the steps of Christ. Look at this. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept him trusting himself to him who judges righteously. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. Look at that church. That we might die to sin. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. I'm going to explain that uh, passage in its context in just a second. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So look at, look at what has happened here as our, uh, for an example. Jesus died on the cross. So if you want to know what the practical implications of, of Romans chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, looks like, we look to Matthew 5, 44, we look to 1 Corinthians 4, we look to 1 Peter 2, and we look to Jesus who laid down his life even though we were spitting in his face. Again, church, here's the challenge that I have for you. We won't even love people when they, or endure with them, or walk beside them when they simply disagree with us. For Christians, it happens to be on doctrine. Well, I disagree with you doctrinally. That means I have to find another church. That just, it's common. It happens all the time, right? And among unbelievers, the problem is, is that when we see this atrocious sin in their life, and we're surprised as Christians that sinners sin, I have no idea why that this is such a surprise to us, but we're surprised that sinners sin, all of a sudden we go, don't touch them. It's going to rub off on us. It's not going to rub off on you, right? You're, you're more than a conqueror, Amen. Now, I'm not telling you, go dive into a bunch of sinners, right? Bad company does corrupt good character. It can't unsave good character, but, but bad company does corrupt you. I've met many Christians that were, man, they were on fire and passionate for the Lord, and then all of their past came back to haunt them, and then they went right back into that nonsense, and, and they were people that you had to call out. You had to go up to them and say, what are you doing? Aren't you a new creature? Aren't you a new creation? It was just a couple of weeks ago that, uh, and I know that he would, he would love for you to hear this because it would communicate the grace of God, but just a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, Adam Black and I sat down with John Riddle, and we sat with him and let him pour his heart out on how the past year had been terribly difficult for him. And how all of the pain and all of the issues that he had uh, once knew and all of that stuff had come flooding back into his life. And that he was rocked. He was shaken. But guess what? Through the love of his wife, he got kicked in the butt. <laughs> and Jesus showed him mercy. Showed him grace. I believe via Jennifer. It's an amazing story. And he's just an example of mercy after mercy after mercy. The, the truth is, we can, we can get all off track. We can get all off track. But as Christians, even if Christians are getting off track, calm down. Calm down. Love them. 
Call them to repentance. Call them to walk beside you. Sit down with them for coffee and talk about the the story that they're going through because it's really important that we all love void of hypocrisy. So the story keeps going. He goes on in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, We did 24 there, but skip down to uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Here's here's what he says to sum up this whole dissertation. He talks a lot about wives and husbands and all that stuff, but here's what he says here. He says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious. Say that word with me, harmonious. Sympathetic, say that word with me, sympathetic. Say it together with me, brotherly. Brotherly, kind-hearted, kind-hearted, and humble. (laughs) I don't like that one. Okay, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to the prayer. But the face of the Lord, listen church, is against those who do evil. So practically, we get love, you know, we we get the principles of love, but when we start to look at the practical nature of love, it starts to be humbling to us. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, is so large that you have to take a step back and realize it is the difference between life and death. It is the difference between honoring God, love void of hypocrisy, and dishonoring God, love with hypocrisy. Where we love as long as we're okay with it. We love until you disagree with me. We love until you've smacked me in the mouth. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Go with them an extra mile. Anybody else swallowing hard this morning? Because it's a big deal. See, see here, here's what I find fascinating about the modern church. Okay, Nathan's on a soapbox, so bear with me fascinating thing about the modern church is that everybody in massive churches and churches all across this country, they want their pastor to stand up and talk about love. But when you talk about biblical love, they'll burn you at the stake. (laughs) When you talk about biblical love and you look at them and you say, guys, you're loving good, but it's not quite what Jesus would do. He would go to a cross for that person. He would lay down his life. This is why I started off with husbands and wives, right? The far majority of you here represent married couples. And guess where you get to display love void of hypocrisy primarily? With your husband and with your wife. This is a big deal, right? This This is brief marriage counseling across the board, right? So what you have to do today, what you are responsible to do is to love your wife, husbands, and love your wives, or love your husbands, wives. You're supposed to love them the way Jesus would love you. Lay it down. 
That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean uh, uh, be void of standards. That doesn't mean throw out what the rest of the Bible says about how the family works. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is looking at each other with immense compassion and saying, I'm going to love you no matter what, even if you don't like me today. Looking right at you, Bob. No. <laughs> it was just me. Nancy wasn't looking at you, but it was me. It was me. So, so we're good. But church, this is, this is a big, big deal. What has Paul told us to do? He's told us to love without hypocrisy. Why are we loving without hypocrisy? Because we've been saved by mercy. We were saved by grace. I was not saved because I was cool. And that's not true anyway. I wasn't saved for those reasons. I was saved because God is good. And in light of that goodness, I owe him my allegiance in every area. I owe him my allegiance in loving my neighbor, in loving those who persecute me, in loving those who hurt me, and loving those who, who, who speak ill against me. I have a responsibility. Why? Because the only, this is such a fascinating thing. Do you know that the only thing standing against the advancement of the kingdom of darkness is the gates of, of God's people, the the, the word of God in God's people saying, you can't move any further. You can't go any further than this. God's word is insurmountable to you, kingdom of darkness. You have no power. That's the truth of it. But guess what? Every time we love, when it's laced with hypocrisy, we're actually Christians retreating. <laughs> Why? I don't get it. We have no cause to retreat. No reason to retreat. We overcome all of this evil and all of this brokenness with love and with good. Amen? Amen. So we want to hear about love all the time. We just obviously don't want to always hear about godly love or biblical love. Because this calls us to a higher standard. And you know what that standard is? Contrary to the Christian songs? Perfect. Perfect Love, perfect love. You know the scripture that says perfect love casts out fear, 1 John? 1 John tells us perfect love casts out fear. Well, here's the truth about your marital relationships. If you perfectly love your husband, if you perfectly love your wife, fear will go away. Fear will go away. Because what is, what is true of what God does for us will be true of what you do for them since you represent him in your life. Is that true? So if you have a marriage that's filled with fear and you're worried about things, well, guess what you do? Start loving them like you mean it. Right? Lay it down. You're not as cool as you think you are anyway. <laughs> so Job, I'm just speaking to myself really, but anyway. Turn to Job. Turn to Job like let's just go depressing, straight up. Let's go back to woe is me, okay? Job chapter 31. I just want to reinforce a point that I made earlier, that God's word never said love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It just never said it. It was actually God's MO the entire time for us to walk in, in this. And this was Job's defense, actually, um, when he was asserting his integrity and you know, trying to be cool. Uh, he said in Job 30, 
1, verse 29 and 30. He says, Have I rejoiced at the extinction of my enemy or exalted when evil befell him? He's asking a rhetorical question, and the answer is, No, I didn't. He says, No, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life in a curse. Please understand Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. For the Christian to love with hypocrisy, for the Christian to curse people who curse them or hate people who hate them, is, as Job says, to sin. It is to sin. And it's a problem. And we've got to be careful. So Job asserts his integrity by saying, I never did this. Because he knew the Father's heart was to not do this. And he held to it. Now, you cannot hate those who love you or hate those who hate you in return and still miss the point. Okay, you can love them and still not be a good follower of Jesus. But what I'm telling you is that in this area, you are to love and you are to love void of hypocrisy. You are not to sin. You are to love and not curse, bless and not curse. This is really important that we get this. So as we learn these lessons, as we start to understand what God is saying, it just begins to transform everything. So quickly, we're going to fire through these next verses. But he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. These are not a series of Proverbs. They're not disconnected from one another, okay? You know what? I, I shared with you something just a second ago, and I never got to it, and I want to make sure that I hit it. When, when the Scripture says, by his stripes we are healed, the context is talking about, by his stripes we were perfectly made right in his sight again. We were healed of, of spiritual deadness, of blindness, of, of all of these problem situations. We were made whole in his sight. And through loving the world, we are actually bringing the gospel to them. We're bringing that great healing to them. And so it's really important that we understand that we're called to further the gospel message in that verse in its context. So verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. All of this has a connection. It's not a series of Proverbs again. Verse 16 says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise, on, uh, wise in your own Estimation. Now I'm going to read it in reverse so that you can see exactly uh, how all these are connected. First of all, don't be wise in your own estimation. God has told us over and over that he rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. So please humble yourself in the sight of God, okay? He says, do not be wise in your own estimation, but, um, but instead accommodate yourself or, uh, or associate with the lowly. Everybody reads that and says, is he just randomly throwing in how we should treat the poor? It's not. The, term, the verse means, quite literally, accommodate yourself to lowly things. Verse 17 says, humble yourself. Verse 16 says, humble yourself. Verse 15 says, humble yourself. The whole point of this is humble yourself. Be of the same mind toward one another. What does that mean in verse 16? What does it mean not to be haughty in your own mind? It means to condescend. It means to surrender. It means to submit. And if Jesus is our example, and he came from heaven to hang out with horrible, dirty, wretched sinners like us, we definitely can speak to people that are just like us. 
We can be with them. We can walk with them. We can care for them. We can love them on their level. So he says, humble yourself. None of us are, uh, none of us can think that we're too big for our britches. We've got a, we've got a problem in this, right? So he says, be of the same mind, humble yourself with one another. Don't be haughty in mind, humble yourself. Associate with the lowly. In other words, accommodate yourself to lowly things. Humble yourself. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Humble yourself. How does that play into verse 15? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The point here is you're a servant to all. If they're rejoicing, rejoice with them. If they're weeping, weep with them. But we as Christians can't be the people that say, I'm not letting you bring me down. (laughs) What's that? Or I'm just mad right now and I'm going to sit over here and mope in my corner. You do do what you want. No, no, no. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. All of this has to do with humility and all of humility has to do with love void of hypocrisy. All of this is connected, church. All of it's connected. Okay, so firing away. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil. We've just bookended this whole idea. Don't pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. That does not say accept what all men accept. It says respect what is right in the sight of all men. Here's the way I think the world reads it. They say, if that guy thinks it's right and you think it's wrong, uh, respect it because it's right in the sight of all men. That's not what's being said here. What's being said here is respect that which is right in its own right among all men. So if God has declared that this is how marriage should look, this is how children should be raised, this is how you should love this person, this is how you should treat this person, it is right according to God and you should respect it before all men. Otherwise, we have a really weird tug of war going on here. And that is you're respecting everybody, everything anyone declares to be right. Do you realize how that'll work for you? (laughs) You'll be spinning in circles like a dog chasing its tail. It's going to be confusing. So you respect what is right in the sight or before all men. Verse 18, if possible, say this with me, church. If possible, say it one more time. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. What is the command? Be at peace with all men. What is the contingency? If it's possible. If it's possible. We're going to get into Romans 13 here in a couple of weeks, right? Uh, Well, at my rate, we'll get into Romans 13 by the time you're all... Anyway, never mind. Okay, so (laughs) Romans 13, and it talks about government. It talks about leadership and all of these things. And we need to understand how this plays out. But in this, it says, if it is possible so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And in the next chapter, it talks about submitting to governing authorities. But I want you to understand, if... Doing what they say violates morality and violates commands and it causes you to to do what is against God. It is no longer possible for you to live at peace with all men. Do you see it? So you have to make sure that you put those in their right order. That's why I believe the Spirit inspired chapter 12 to be followed by chapter 13. So if it possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, Verse 19, and here's how I want to close this morning. 
Verse 19 of Romans chapter 12. Jerry Clust and I happen to believe that this is our life verse. And I just want you to, I want you to hear it first and then I'll explain it. I love you. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass you now. But anyway, so never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Positive. Okay, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know how many times that phrase, vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord appears in Scripture? Five times. Three out of five, New Testament. No, that's the God of the Old Testament. Anyway, same God. Okay, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Life verse, right? It's awesome. Heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You are not loving people so that you can make them mad. Please get this. Jerry and I actually think about this all the time. We're like, okay, so how can we love people who've done wrong to us so that it just get under their skin? We have wrong motives, okay? We have wrong motives. We have repented of it. We're, st- we're in a recovery group together about it, but, but we're trying to get over this, right? Here's the point, though. When you are loving your enemies, you are genuinely loving your enemies like Christ loved you, I mean, without fail, you give them the shirt off your back. You love them. Do you realize how hard this is? This is difficult. And here's what the scripture is saying. It's pointing out a reality of what does happen, or maybe better, what can happen. And that is when you love like Jesus, if somebody is is a stick in the mud and they just hate you and they don't want anything to do with it, they are going to be offended in the face of love offended in the face of love. Again, the modern church wants us to preach about love. They don't want us to preach about biblical love. Why? Because biblical love makes people mad. It offends. And if biblical love is offending you, all I would ask is for you to look in your heart and see if it's just because you're stubborn, if you're a curmudgeon, if you're, you know, like if that's what's going on in there, you need to look at repentance. That's the call. So here's the deal. We're supposed to love. This is love without hypocrisy. That practical outplay is unbelievable. It means hating what is evil, clinging to what is good. It means being devoted in brotherly love. It means giving preference or outdoing one another with regard to honor. It means not lagging behind in diligence, but being fervent in the spirit. All of this is serving the Lord. It means rejoicing in hope. It means persevering through trial. It means being devoted to prayer. It means contributing to the need of the saints, thank you, practicing hospitality, but it also means loving those who hate you. It means loving those who hate you. It means blessing those who curse you. It means rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep and being of the same mind as one another as Christians. It means humbling yourself, humbling yourself, humbling yourself, and humbling yourself and never repaying evil for evil. It means respecting what is right in God's mind, in the sight of all men, before all men. And if possible, if it depends on you, you live at peace with people. Vengeance is God's. I'm glad I don't have the gavel. I say it all the time. I'm glad I don't. There's days where I, I want to condemn everybody. But, it, but 
It's me looking through a, a, a skewed filter. It's me looking through a sinful heart. Because what God would have me do is love them even when they spit in my face. My God would have me love and stand against the tide of the enemy. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.